0: As I say, I'm giving the answers to the test now. So for 10 years, I walked onto the dock and I held their fishing rod and I taught them how to cast and pull in a fish. Now with pipeline signals, the concept is at the end of the day, a sales team just needs the answers. And for all the statistics you probably read around quota attainment and the challenges around it, we need to get the sellers more at bats.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Jamie Shanks. Jamie is the CEO of Pipeline Signals as well as CEO of Sales for Life. And I'm also joined in talking with to Jamie today by my friend and part-time co-host Howard Brown, founder and CEO of Revenue.io. So in today's episode, Howard and I are talking with Jamie about his new venture. It's called pipeline signals, and it's a new service that monitors your social accounts for opportunities, you know, intelligence about potential opportunities, intelligence about threats. Now, we dig into what the difference is between compelling event signals versus buying intent signals and why these compelling event or engagement signals are triggers for a sales conversation. We talk about how these event signals enable you as a seller to get into conversations earlier in the buying journey and giving you more opportunities, more chance to influence the choices and trade-offs that buyers make. And then we dive into what Jamie calls the three types of compelling event signals that every seller should be monitoring. So we get into this and much, much more. But before we get to Jamie and Howard, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate it. So, thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jamie, welcome back. Greatly appreciate having me. And Howard, as always, pleasure to have you back on the show.
2: Great to be here, and great to see you, Jamie. Good to see you, Howard.
1: So, people with really good memories remember that Jamie was previously here on episode—let's see if Jamie remembers— Episode 312 and episode 716.
0: I was just going to make up numbers. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, they,
1: no one would have known the difference. So, I had to look it up. But, uh, so welcome back. So, you're joining us
0: from where today? I'm joining us from Toronto, Canada.
1: Nice. Is it winter uh,
0: well, yet? It's nice in the summer. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, is, it, is it winter
1: yet? Soon to be. Soon, Soon to, to be. be. I'm in New York. We have snow in the forecast for next week on Thanksgiving. So, yeah, early winter. So, uh, well, welcome back. Yeah, we want to talk about uh, your new venture, Jamie, Pipeline Signals. So uh, tell us a little bit about it and what was the impetus to to start this new
0: venture? So for 10 years, I've been training social selling and pipeline creation through our agency called Sales for Life. Mm -hmm. 500 global customers, A quarter million sellers certified along the journey. When a seller becomes certified in that company, uh, in our certification programs, they need to create a real live opportunity and defend it in a video case study as to how they created that opportunity. And over the years, we started recognizing there were patterns on how sellers were selecting and prioritizing the very accounts they were going after. Whether it was net new or it's an existing account for upsell and cross-sell, there were these signals that they were looking at and leveraging, and we started to categorize these. Then in 2019, we had a customer of ours come to us. It was a cybersecurity customer that said, hey, instead of you teaching us how to mine signal intelligence out of tools like LinkedIn, and be able to look at it from a decentralized model where every seller is responsible for their own market or total addressable market, what if you created a centralized model? We nicknamed it the Global Command Center. Now, at that time, I'm owning a global sales training company. So when you sell hammers, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. And I tried to convince them, well, listen, uh, how about we enable your team to do this? You want to have these skills in-house. But it planted a seed in my mind. 2020 happens, COVID happens. I'm not on 80 flights a year around the world anymore, so I have a lot more time on my hands. And I turned to my business partner, Amar, and I said, You know, this idea that's been percolating for a while? What if we develop a sister company and its responsibility is mining signals on behalf of sellers, but looking at it from a bird's eye view and reverse engineering all of their customers and prospects and looking for relationship roadmaps, looking for competitive intelligence, looking for time and maturity events, and then Distributing that that intelligence, that sales intelligence, back to the sellers in the tools that make sense to them. Let's say Salesforce.com or a sales mm-hmm. engagement application. So we alpha test it, we beta test it, we then go live with customers that are from Sales for Life, then we bring on net new customers, and it's a growing business that we're now in the midst of raising capital to expand. Hmm, very interesting. So that's a bit of a long story, but that's that's Congratulations.
2: How it, came out. it sounds amazing.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Well, so tell us a little bit about how, how it works. Because you're you're focusing not on that's on buyer intent signals or buying intent signals, but well, you said you call them more compelling event signals. So
0: explain what the difference is between those. So and we have a great image on our website that looks like a puzzle piece. And if you think about a signal, if I'm a sales professional working a market, the Canadian market is an example, where I am now. I look at accounts through the lens of three different types of signals. Number 1, buying intent. My marketing team is telling me who's googling keywords, who's raising their hand and saying, "Listen, I'm interested in a topic. I've downloaded an ebook, I've attended some webinars." And if you're using a tool like 6sense, it creates a 6QA score. Mm-hmm. That's category 1. We're not involved in that. Category number 2 is called product usage or known as workload consumption. If you're an existing customer leveraging our software, Sales for Life has a learning management platform, I can see who's using it more, less, the right way, the wrong way. And it helps me discern, do we have a churn risk here? Or do we have an upsell and cross-sell opportunity? Again, Pipeline Signals (laughs) doesn't get involved in there. But compelling events have three categories within it. And relationships, time and maturity, and competitive intelligence are primarily centered around human capital. And human capital migrates in and out of businesses, thus they take priorities into a business and leave with them. They grow departments, they shrink departments, they recruit, they connect with competitors. So what our team is doing, and we're in the midst of translating from a managed service to a SaaS software platform as we have analysts, human analysts, who are working on behalf of our customers, who are looking at all of their accounts holistically and saying, okay, of the 2,000 customers and the 3,000 prospects, who's left a happy advocate customer and gone into one of these prospects? Which accounts have been recruiting all that talent at scale? Uh, Which of these accounts have competitors connecting in there? So it's a global bird's eye view of everything that's happening to the human capital within that total addressable market.
2: So it sounds like you're looking at where people are migrating to where they came from. And and based on your TAM or your ideal customer, did someone move there? Um, is there a relationship, that sort of thing? Am I getting that right? Exactly.
0: So let's take an account. Um, I've got an iPhone on me. We'll take Apple. Apple is a prospective account. Now there are three natural migrations that will happen of talent going into this business and each have a different set of urgency and a different set of conversion. Number one, the most important signal is the relationship signal. So your customer, oh, my light went on in my Apple phone. Your customer <laughs> was Samsung and somebody left the engineering department at Samsung, ups and leaves and goes into the engineering department at Apple and they meet your ideal customer profile. That's of the highest level of urgency and convertibility because you have a happy advocate in that business. So that is that is that is noted and then delivered as a task alert directly to the seller in Salesforce that says, you have a relationship from Samsung in Apple, here's their LinkedIn profile, here's their contact information, here's your SLA to call them within seven days. The second tier, as an example, still a green flag, is the fact that they just hired a brand new chief technology officer. And that chief technology officer, in that first 100 days, is going to shake things up. New people, new process, new technology. Budget. and they Budget, and they typically deploy a huge portion, it's claimed up to 70% of their budget, within that first 100 days. Or at least have mentally allocated where it's going to go. So that's still a green flag. Not a relationship, but you have change afoot. The third is the yellow, the red or the yellow flag. Again, new person goes in, but they worked at or did a project with or has skills and certifications directly correlated to your competitor. Mm-hmm. So when they get into Apple, they're the poison pill. They're the detractor. They're going to bring in the, the vendor that they felt comfortable with in the past. And so that migration, three different types of people going into a business, affect The prioritization of that account
2: for a seller. Fascinating. So it really is a relationship graph with migration patterns, and you either have advocates or detractors, and you're helping prioritize who I contact. So essentially, you're doing all the work for the the sales team, the sales development team, so that they can focus on selling and not doing all the legwork to figure out who and what to prioritize
0: as I say, I'm giving the answers to the test now. So for 10 years, <laughs> I walked onto the dock and I held their fishing rod and I taught them how to cast and pull in a fish. Now with pipeline signals, the concept is at the end of the day, a sales team just needs the answers because they need, and for all the statistics you probably read around quota attainment and the challenges around it, we need to get the sellers more at bats. And so in. St- If you think about it from a chief revenue officer standpoint or a a head of RevOps, you're not paying sellers to do research. You're paying them for outcomes. But research is kind of part of the job. So we're taking that $5 an hour task away from the seller and saying, let's let's help you focus on what you do the best, which is engage the customer, while we arm you with the information to make informed decisions. It's great. It's great. Yeah, well, I, th- I think, too, that, that
1: it's—and I wouldn't—I mean, to me, this seems like it's as useful for AEs as for SDRs. I mean, cause especially because you're talking about existing relationships and existing accounts that might, might you know, transit to a new account, create a new opportunity, is if you look at, you know, if you've got a list of accounts that you're responsible for, this is, seems like a, a great tool to have. Because then you're really working these accounts, and you're able to engage in conversations Earlier in the buying
0: journey than you would necessarily if you're waiting for some sort of intent data. Here's what we're learning as a best practice. I agree with you. The account executive and/or the customer success manager right. or rep right. should definitely be notified and alerted that changes of foot, right? People went in, people went out, people got promoted, they're hiring, they're firing, whatever it is. But what we're noticing is that the sellers or the teams that are having the best success are actually routing a notification to the AE that says, hey, Sam, by the way, in your account at Apple, here's what's happening. But Susan, your BDR or FDR, your your first touch Mm -hmm. team will try to activate that conversation on your behalf first. Once they warm it up, They'll bring you in um, because what's been happening at scale is the account executives and the customer success managers for two different reasons. One, they're very busy. Two, they may be a, have been one step removed from prospecting all these years and to now step backwards is difficult. So we've recommended send that intelligence, that sales intelligence to your first touch team, but also notify those that are on that account.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, if the AE maybe has let that relationship go fallow, that they couldn't make that contact themselves.
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so, Jamie, I have a question. When you think about, it sounds like right now it's a service, but it's about to be fully productized to a subscription based model. Is that right?
0: it is already a subscription it is a managed service sub- monthly subscription just behind the scenes from the customer's perspective the intelligence is the intelligence and it's still being uh, routed into the 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 tool of choice the the, the workflow tool of choice for them which oh, is typically yeah. their standard. on the back end we're just migrating from a managed service to a saas
2: so so given that sellers today have s- seller success reps, uh, SDRs, have so many different tools that are sending them signals. How do you see creating a scoring mechanism so that a rep can prioritize this sort of signal over any of the other signals they may be getting from a variety of tools? Because I think that's one of the things that I'm seeing a lot of reps and, and leaders, quite frankly, challenged with. They have so many signals coming in How do we then truly create a RevOps platform that says, look, you need to be prioritizing this based upon a score against all these other scores. Where's the master score and the master signal, and how can we I guess, as as users of applications like this grow to trust this tool and this score over this one. Because what I believe we have seen is that while human beings are somewhat forgiving of other human beings based on their own mental health, hopefully they can, you know, something happens, there's a there's a, there's a challenge within your relationship. You can talk to another human being. You can work through it. You can you know, make amends, whatever. When sellers or people have issues with the data or the signal, and if it blows it for them, they're not as forgiving. People are not as forgiving of machines and algorithm, algorithms as they are as human beings. So I'm just curious how you think about your scoring and scoring against all of these other signals.
0: I Completely agree where I think you're taking this. The future is, and I'm the first to admit, we are a piece to a puzzle. I'm trying to either win net new or upsell or cross sell Apple. And people make decisions in businesses. And I have to activate those people. And those people are demonstrating buying intent behavior They may already be an existing user, again, product usage, and then change is happening into those departments. All three data sets are important, and I would argue equally important, and they all make up a story. And that story, there is no one score been created yet, and I know what I've created is a point solution. I am a piece to a puzzle. And what we've worked with our customers to do thus far is many of our customers already have a Zoom Info, a Bumbora, mm-hmm. Sixth Sense demand base buying intent score. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. actually routing the intelligence to be in the same task alert, the same location under the account as that same six Sense score. So as a seller, my job is to interpret that intelligence to make informed decisions. I see that there is buying intent and there is relationship change. There is there is a greater probability that um, that, cha- that a changing conversation uh, would be of value to this customer. So let's prioritize mm-hmm. those leads. And we had one customer um, that has started this a couple months ago, and it's worked fantastic. Every day they send us the inbound leads that's coming from Sixth Sense. and then we cross-reference it against compelling events, mm-hmm. and then the accounts that have double up essentially they are buying intent and there's a lot of relationship change call those first and maybe even increase your cadence or you know lengthen the cadence really go longer with those accounts but i believe uh, where i think you're taking this is naturally there will be an overarching score that takes all sales intelligence and puts it all together and fills in the puzzle piece all we're supplying is the one piece yeah but if I'm, if I'm advising the chief revenue officer or a head of RevOps, note that all, in, all that intelligence is only going to make you smarter. Of course. Now, right now, you have to enable the sellers to uh, make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. But uh, number one, don't ignore it. But two, um, don't necessarily believe what one is the only answer. I think it's a combination of them all. And if we could eventually create a universal score to pull it all in um, that that is trustworthy, then uh, the seller will have a a great opportunity.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So it raises a question then, how do we train sellers to make good sense of this information?
0: What we're doing is taking from our sales for life experience of 10 years of teaching the sellers how to turn that sales intelligence into um, conversations that create create impact. Um, So ultimately what we're trying to do is we look at three levers that a seller can control. I'm a believer a, a seller can only control the stories they tell, the mediums in which they tell those stories through, and then the cadence and sequence in which they tell that story. Or a group of stories, so order of operations, time in between storytelling. That's about as much as I believe a seller can control. So with that, we try to help them understand that there needs to be a basket of stories developed around certain signals, mm-hmm. such as when an advocate leaves Samsung to go to Apple, would it not make sense to reintroduce that, that advocate at Apple by the way, we used to work at Samsung. Here was what the project looked like. Here was the results of that project. Now that you're in Apple, do you see a similar problem arising and how could we use that past project to bring it forward? So we're, t- and then that, that's the story coming forward. The medium, we're trying to teach them to leverage the power of video to, to humanize that story and then cadence and sequence just to make it a multi-touch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about as far as we're taking it so far. I'm sure there's better ways uh, to enable. But that's what we got so far.
1: Any thoughts on that, Howard?
2: Well, I like like everything we talk about all the time, it's how how do we train, how do we educate our sellers on how to use the tools to make them better at their job? And Jamie describes that as storyteller or really connecting people. And i I think this is a brilliant, um utilization of signals what i'm curious is do you also help sellers navigate the the conversation so somebody left samsung and then went to apple what's the right opener for that how do you take that information and start the conversation how do you how do you grow from taking that signal to having a relevant conversation about why you're contacting them
0: yeah and and week by week what we're discovering as we're growing and scaling pipeline signals, which uh, you know, you, you live as a service business for 10 years, a training company for 10 years, and then you create what is to be a SaaS software. And you say, well, I'm gonna bring over some of the, the services. But what you come to realize is, even though you're sending, you've got a product-led kind of growth, you've got, hey, take my signals and run with them. Week by week, we keep getting asked, take best practices from training and and port them in. So little things that we've been doing tactically, but of course, to your point, there are plays that we need to develop. We're creating a resource library uh, at Pipeline Signals so that what happens is as a signal is alerted in Salesforce, And it says, John Smith just left Samsung. They went over to Apple. They're new, the VP of technology. Click here. Here's their LinkedIn profile. Here's their email. Click here and access a resource library of some sample best practices and plays of sellers just like you who have executed against this very signal. So we're building out that library now. But what we also offer, and this has been going on for years and years at Sales for Life, the last link is click here to our daily coaching hotline. So both companies have a daily coaching hotline and they click that and it's routed to my business partner Amar, myself, our trainers to have an open mic 15 minute discussion like professor class time. It just, just like we're doing right now is we jump on a Zoom call and we talk best practices, pitfalls, challenges. That's not the world's most scalable solution, not scalable. But, but for now, it's, it's getting that weight glove service to our initial customers to say, let's figure out together, what do you say? When do you say it? We're developing those best practices.
2: So really exciting. Obviously, a perfect jumping-off point from sales for life. How do you how do you manage both? How do you manage sales for life? How do you manage pipeline signals? How do you manage all of this? And where's it going?
0: Yeah, so sales for life um, has really been able to be put onto a flight path and turned on the cruise control uh, from the air from the pilot, so to speak. Uh, it has, uh, you know. It has recurring customers, and it's on its own path. This company, Pipeline Signals, is 90% of our workload, which is we're scaling it as we're raising a pre-seed, then a seed, then a series A, like the very classic growth patterns. We see big things here. So that's I'm spending 90% of my time scaling Pipeline
2: Signals. So I'm going to I'm going to challenge you a little bit having gone through a few funding rounds myself and bought and sold companies. You you go to an investor, right, and you talk about this business being 90% of your attention and your other business which, you know, in many ways is probably a feeder to this current business, but you're probably not raising funds on that business because to your point, that's on autopilot. How do you pull apart the two? How do they know that they're investing in you and they're going to get that 90 to 100 percent attention and that you're going to f- I'm asking the tough question, right? I'm in the so good because you're
0: now helping me practice for the pitch. Right. that's right.
1: Yeah, because they're going to want 100 percent of your time if they're going to put Yeah. So
0: I think I need to have a better answer for that for uh, pitch time.
2: Yeah. Yeah well I would love it. You press that 15 minute coach button. I'd love to uh <clears throat> I'd love to spend time with you on it. Excuse me.
0: Please do. Yeah, so uh, and if you went to either company and you click coaching online it, and please I I would love <laughs> to hear uh, because that's uh, the intent is pipeline signals built to scale, right? So Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean I like it just cuz you know this goes back to the whole thing about trigger events and so on, is is just more data points about how to engage with
0: someone, right? Yeah, and, and what we're trying to do is remove the the data element and give more of the prescription and just saying, here's who you should call and why. Yeah, Right. And I think also maybe
1: give back to people maybe a better sense of ownership of a set of accounts, right? That they really should be chartered to know intimately what's going on, right? If you can no longer get on a plane, travel, and walk the hallways... But you got to know what's going on in your accounts. This seems like a good tool to be able to sort of do that. No, I appreciate
2: it. Yeah. So now that we're saving reps all this time from having to do their own research, what should they be focused on? What What do reps need to be focusing on in twenty almost 2022 here? Where, where should their time be?
0: I, I think that you hit the nail on the head and you were asking, you know, have you been working on the crafting of the message or the, the door openers? I, if, if day by day, companies like ours and others in the buying intent arena, the product usage arena, are supplying sellers with information to make informed decisions and easing the decision making around account selection and prioritization, then I'd be sharpening the axe on saying, how do I ensure that if I have... A lead or an opportunity, I am improving conversions of uh, activating that account, like opening the door and then assuming maybe you're the same rep who also is the one then uh, demoing or pitching the solution. I would really be honing in on my communication skills mm-hmm. and working on that first impression, that demo that's going to set the tone for the relationship of that customer. I mean, that's the part, sales for life, uh, my entire life has been around prospecting. So getting to the door opened. And so if somebody was helping me with account selection and prioritization, I'd be working on key account planning, key account engagement, activation, opening that door.
2: For all the new sellers out there listening, where do they focus? There's, there's signals, there's, there's conversation, there's tools, there's, there's so many things to to grow and to uh, to to focus on. H- how do I how do I choose? I, I mean, you you have a business called Sales for Life, but where do I start? I talk to more sales reps now. They're just like, which book should I read? What what software should I use? Like, where do I go? How do I start? If
0: I were starting all over again, <laughs> uh, I mean, quick quick story. So I I used to live in Australia. I was 25, I moved home after my master's degree, and the only company that would hire me was in commercial real estate. I was in a 100% commission job. And I call it water cooler learning. I was in a giant office bullpen with brokers, uh, commercial real estate brokers. And they were making a zillion phone calls a day, as as was I. And I would pretend I needed another glass of water and as I would see a a seasoned grizzly vet walk up to the water cooler. I would walk up to tap a little water into my thing and ask them a question. If I was 22, 25, 27 again, I wouldn't necessarily focus on some sales methodology or anything like that. I know that sounds counterintuitive to a guy who owns a sales methodology. I would be working with the sellers who have been successful in your own company and I would reverse engineer what does ideal look like. I would find out from them, what has opened doors for them, what has, f- take them for lunch or even virtual lunch, learn what, what closes doors, How do, what loses deals quickly, what are the things I need to know in the sales process from legal and procurement that I might not already know. I'd really, because you're probably working from home, you might even be new to a company and you've never even met your own teammates physically since covid started i think you've got to learn from those that have walked the walk in in your business it was a and it was an advantage i had when i you know i started in commercial real estate as the internet was birthing itself so all we had was phones and notepads and i just heard stories and i learned from my counterparts that's what i would do how about yourself if you were to start all over again what
1: would you do? Well, that's what I did at the start of my career is attach myself to the the person in my office that was having the biggest success yeah and we did ride along so at that time we were out in the field um, and yeah learned how to learn how to get <laughs> get a receptionist to uh, not shoo me away um, and it's through him and I was just you know Ooh. he was genuine he was open he was authentic. Uh, and I just learned a tremendous amount from from that person. Then every time I've been into a new environment, it's sort of the same thing. Is you know, find the people that that are doing a good job that seem like well, you can learn from everybody, but you know, every time you find the ones that seem most aligned with what you think your strengths are, and yeah, study it. My,
0: I'll uh, uh, remember. I wrote about it in either Social Selling Mastery or Spare Selling that the number one broker in my office. I walked into his office, got paired up with him, mentor, mentee. And he had a stack of resumes on his desk. Now, we're in commercial real estate. Stack of resumes this high of chief financial officers all across Toronto. And his name was Cam. I said, Cam, what are you doing with all these resumes in your desk? He said, you don't understand. We're not selling real estate. We're in the people business. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I focus in on is I help CFOs get jobs from one company in Toronto to the next company in Toronto? And when I do, who do you think they call for commercial real estate? A light bulb went off. I was like, oh my God. So all he did was help connect CFOs and jobs, and then he sold them real estate.
1: Right. He invested in his network, which is, yeah, yeah, people, again, don't tend to look at that as an asset, right? Mm -hmm. Is Your network, who you know, and Keith Ferrazzi writes about this extremely well, is is yeah? How do you increase the value of that network over the course of your career? Mm-hmm.
0: Howard, how would you?
1: Uh, what
2: would you do? I think you guys hit the nail on the head. I think I would study success. I'd study what success looks like and, and all the pieces that lead to success. I think that it's critically important to understand who we're trying to sell to. So really understanding their world, what motivates them, what drives them. And I think, and I'm seeing it more and more, people don't spend enough time learning about the product or service or value that they're delivering. So truly master the product or service that you're trying to convey the value of. And and I think if you don't understand that, if you don't understand who you're selling to and what motivates them, then you're probably going to miss the mark. So, follow the masters, create mastery, and 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 go. But you know, it's it's a uh, if you're not a curious person, if you're not passionate about helping others, if you don't want to constantly learn, you're probably in the wrong profession.
1: I would I would add to that, Howard. Is I think that we don't. Yeah, so we, as sort of you know, leadership and sales and so on, is don't ensure that sellers spend enough time with existing customers. Oh yeah, because there's so much gold there. And yeah, you know, one of my <laughs> stories you know, early in my career is, you know, I was selling this large construction company selling a computer system for all their accounting needs, and they ran us through the ringer on every application, the general ledger suite that you could possibly do in depth demos and so on. And yeah, you know, close the deal and then I don't know, I'd stay in touch, but about three or four months later, I'm going back after the implementation team has got them up and going. And they're just running billing. <laughs> I said, What the hell are you doing? You ran me through the ring over. She says, Yeah, well, no billing paid for the whole thing. Mm. Right? <laughs> and was, this was the most important thing to them. And you know, had we been smart enough to find that out beforehand. But also, if we'd gone to other users, yeah, I could take that information now. I went to other contractors and said, oh, okay, this is probably similar. This is what they're really going to be interested in. You learn from your customers how to sell your product if you just go talk to them.
2: Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit, Jamie, you've been in uh, social selling, social sales space for a really long time. LinkedIn is uh, getting incredibly noisy. Um, what, what's the future of social sales look like, and, and how big of a part is LinkedIn in the, in the formula?
0: It's interesting. Um, I believe that there's kind of macro and micro. So, micro, Microsoft's ownership, I thought, would have taken uh, more of a foothold into LinkedIn. You know, they've been together for now three or four years. I would have thought that LinkedIn would have built a complete channel ecosystem, and it would have been sold with every Office 365, and it would have been bundled directly into the Office C-suite, and it would would be more integrated into the Microsoft Mm -hmm. workload uh, than it is not today. It's kind of stayed still as an independent social media platform. Its unit economics seemed to be growing a lot faster than some of its original predecessors, Twitter and and Facebook, especially on the advertising standpoint, um, but I agree it. Um, and this is kind of why our 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 solution pipeline signals becomes that much more valuable because the filters, the the ability to aggregate the intelligence you only need, even if you own Navigator, it, it is not supplying you with that intelligence on a consistent basis. Uh, there's a lot of noise. I also believe that there will be social networks that will emerge, and there already is in other parts of the world. In Germany, you have Zing, you have Weibo and WeChat in Asia Pacific. Um, I believe that naturally there will be other business networks that will appear. I thought Facebook for business would have been more pervasive than it has become, and it would have rivaled LinkedIn as a data source. So um, – That's about as far as my pontificating can take me so far, is um, for the time being, it is still the most important business-to-business tool from two fronts. I think, and you have to separate what LinkedIn can do. It is a research tool. It is real-time user-generated intelligence on people and companies. At the second, it actually has still an incredible engagement platform. Your ability to message people and communicate in ways that you don't often do with email and the fact that it can route a message through to their personal email because, right, whatever email account is tied to your LinkedIn profile, it sends a LinkedIn message to that email and as well it's in your inbox. We call that kind of double potency. So the engagement is still quite high. I don't know how long that lasts forever. I mean, people said five years ago that LinkedIn was getting poisoned. It's been five years, right? So, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's different. I, mean, I remember being it struck
1: earlier this week. Somebody post. I, I, I had to double check to make sure I was on LinkedIn, not on Facebook, because I saw food pictures.
0: Yes. Yeah, so there is there is a blending. Yeah. And I wonder. I and I wonder if that will be a good thing for LinkedIn long term. It will again open up its total addressable market. Uh, it will more humanize it because I, one thing that LinkedIn's always struggled with is weekly, like daily, weekly, and monthly utilization of the average right. user. Like they just don't log in very often. Mm-hmm. So it might open up that usage more, but at the same time alienate some who just said, listen, I came on this thing to get a new job, meet a new contact, end a story. And if it doesn't do that, I got rid of my Facebook because the second it starts getting political… I'm out mm-hmm. of this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, seems to be somewhat free from politics still.
2: It's, it's, getting, yeah. it's getting a little bit more polluted. I jump on there and sometimes I'm like, yeah. wow, I can't believe I just. <laughs> <stopped.">
0: <laughs> Honestly, it, it, that's that almost killed off uh, politics and religion almost killed off Facebook. And it somehow is just navigating the, the fine line. I don't think LinkedIn would do very well if. If it took what was primarily a business venture or business tool, and it went that route, I think that the engagement's low enough that it would really damage yeah. it.
2: Very cool. All
0: right, Howard. Any other questions for Jamie?
2: This was awesome, Jamie. Thank you so much for uh, talking, talking to Jamie, us yeah. about pipeline signals, educating us on uh, social selling, and and just uh, you know, it's it's good to catch up.
0: Thank you, and your and your advice is going to help me scale this thing. All right, there sure. you go.
1: Count on a call from Howard on the coaching line. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Jamie, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, guys. You take care. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Jamie Shanks, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.